0: Hey, everyone. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. We've invited three fantastic friends of the show to get together and chat about their learning journey. How do they get into instructional design? What are some of the obstacles they face on a regular basis? And, you know, how do we deal with those pesky key stakeholders? It's an amazing opportunity to listen to some great minds. So let's get started they are
1: the fabulous learning nerds because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done you've got the fabulous learning nerds scott dan and abby are making it fun the best ideas that you've ever heard so everybody spread the word they're gonna keep your wheels turning
2: the fabulous learning
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. I'm Scott Chudy, your host, and with us, like he is most of the time, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan
3: the man. <laughs> oh, That's
4: yeah. it. That stays. I was going to say, that stays. Don't fix it. That's amazing. Uh, I've been downgraded to most of the time. That's fair. It, that is. Really it is, fair. is
0: fair. How are you doing, Scott? I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? Fair I think right. I'm fair to Midland. To Midland. Yeah, soundboards are interesting things. Dan the Man is right next to Drum Joke. Well, so when I hit the button, of course that's kind it of is. what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So that's cool. How was your holiday? I, I, My holiday was really
4: good. Also, I feel like Dan the Man being right next to Drum Joke is pretty much a good descriptor for like me entirely. <gasps> I think there's a deep philosophical discussion there.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That was your your holiday. Oh, I did absolutely nothing. I I finished Stranger Things and Umbrella Academy. Those are the best holidays. Oh, I did finish Umbrella Academy. Mm -hmm. I have not finished Stranger Things. Okay. So, um, without diving too deep, so overall thoughts on Umbrella Academy Season 3?
4: I I love the recurring theme in Umbrella Academy. And if you've watched it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, And... It, it leads when you know what the end will be, it leads to interesting questions like well, how are they going to get there? And I don't want to like <clears throat> do spoilers. So that's, that's really it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I actually, um, <coughs> maybe stayed up, uh, till four or five oh, really? in the morning yeah. and, and, and just binged it like a crazy person and then got up and did my day job. And <laughs> what a day.
0: <laughs> that's why I did mine on the weekend. My wife, same thing. what, are you watching? It's like the umbrella cat. And I will say season three is two episodes too long. That's my humble opinion. I think they got to tighten that story up because I'm like, get on with it. At the last three, se- uh, get just, yeah, just get there. You know, I'm not. I, you know what? I would agree. Yep. Could have been a better story in eight, not 10, but that's okay. That's how we make money. Um, speaking of making money, she's really great at it. That's why you want to listen to her. Um, you love her. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Dawson's with us, everyone. Abby. Morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? The listeners cannot see, but you're looking fantastic this morning. I just want everybody to know.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not letting you get away with that. Y'all, I log in this morning and Scott goes, Abby, you look sad. And I was like, is this how we're starting? I, got a- I was
0: genuinely worried I'm about little you. I'm a bit
2: tired. I was genuinely
0: worried about you because I care about you. But she does look fantastic, everybody. She looks fantastic. Yeah. Quick change of rescuing myself. Did you watch Umbrella Academy?
2: <laughs> I've seen a couple episodes. It's not my jam. I'm more of like, I've been rewatching Kath and Kim, which is like an Australian comedy that I think is hysterical.
0: Captain Ken? So,
2: no, no. Kath and Kim
0: what what is that about I have not heard
2: it's um a dysfunctional mother-daughter relationship and it's really really funny
0: yeah. Excellent. Well, we're glad that you're here. Um, today's a very special episode. Folks, you, we've been on this like role interviewing a lot of really important and amazing people. I've gotten so much smarter by hanging out with these people. And we're going to get even more smart because we've invited a whole bunch of friends of the show with us today to talk about how they got into instructional design. That's right.
4: Yes. I feel like we have like the three fates of ID, you know?
3: (laughs) Oh, hell yeah.
0: At any rate, with us, we've got John Lathbury. Say hello, John. Hey, everybody. How's it going?
1: It's going pretty
3: good.
0: That's awesome. This gentleman taught everything I know to me about instructional design. Joey Acklin is with us. Joey. Hello, hello. Don't sound so excited, Joey. I know. (laughs) <laughs> and newcomer to the show, but uh, still an amazing guest, um, is Mr. Lucas Burning, everybody. Hey, hi, Lucas, how you doing? Hey, how are you guys? That's fantastic. All right, great. So listen, we're going to go around the horny and we're just going to kind of talk about our experiences and our, um, our uh, journey through instructional design and share some stories and some learnings and hope that, um, especially for those of us that are maybe looking to make that transition or I uh, got folks that are thinking about getting into the business of instructional design that uh, we can provide some guidance for them. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the topic of the week. Are you, ready? you know what? I'm going to start with my co host. How about that? So, Abby, how'd you get into instructional design? What's your journey?
2: I got into instructional design because I had a, um, a wonderfully impatient boss. Um, I was working in a big corporate environment and I was on their training and comms team, but I was mostly handling comms. And, um, in that corporate environment, you have to like buy hours from other parts of the business to, de- to develop training because training was not part of our, like, like our ID was not part of our actual like, core group. Um, And she wanted more hours than she could buy. So she was like, hey, who wants to learn how to make courses and learn how to make training resources? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll throw my hat in the ring. And she's like, cool. I'm going to sign you up for this um, platform. It works kind of like PowerPoint. Watch YouTube videos. If you have questions, go. And that's how I started.
0: (laughs) So you had no PowerPoint skills? You taught yourself PowerPoint
2: I taught myself PowerPoint. We were a really collaborative group. So we had some people who had like really good PowerPoint skills and they taught us some things. We had some people who had really good Adobe skills. They taught us some things. And then um, I am, I'm a big believer in use the heck out of what's given you given to you. So like all of the um, like um, knowledge bases that articulate and all those guys put out, I I am really good at searching and finding what I need and YouTube as cheesy as it sounds, YouTube is a fantastic resource, and if you're not using it, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why you wouldn't. So I've, I've learned an incredible amount by just being willing to go look for answers.
0: I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I really feel like YouTube is a fantastic model of knowledge curation, right? So not only is it this really, by the way, second largest search engine next to Google, right? Um, yep. So that's got it going for it, but you name it you can find it on youtube how to do it but it's also a really great place where people can collaborate and share their knowledge and it's a really great um if you're not looking at youtube just to get answers but you know if you have uh, an opportunity in your learning environment take a shot at uh, knowledge curation get that audience participating in the learning journey it's an amazing thing it's a scary thing because i truly believe that um there's a little bit of control freak in all of us, instructional design people, like here's my learning and I kind of want it to be this way. I feel like all of us kind of have it, whether we want to uh, admit it or not. So letting go of some of that is a really scary thing. Oh, but it's really, really powerful. I will shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many people, and I'll let everybody else, I think it's interesting that you say, well, you were self-taught. Um, Dan, were you self-taught? Uh not exactly. No. Actually, I had somebody
4: uh who who taught me who was just like, "Hey, I think you'll be really good at this." And um so like helped guide me and like tell me when I was doing things dumb and wrong. And yeah.
0: Joey, how about you?
3: Self-taught or no? I'd say a mixture. Um uh, of learning from coworkers, learning from others in the industry on my team including john and dan uh, at the time uh as well as just research to abby's point going find out what addy is looking up like what the hell is all this what is all this excuse me and seeing what i can find out and work with
0: john about yourself
3: uh yeah i mean it's going to sound like a
1: trend but definitely collaborative learning like There was quite a bit of Googling, quite a bit of YouTube learning how to use the tools, but how to actually do the design was something that I learned either from somebody in a mentor role or from just other people I was working with. I'm going to show them something and say, hey, how does this look?
0: Lucas, how about you?
5: Well, considering that I'm actively learning right now, um, yes, its I've got uh, my mentor. Who's helping me out um, and kind of giving me, you know, tasks and assignments and, and stuff like that, as well as one of the tasks and assignments being like, go out, find information about this or find out information about that. And, and kind of, you know, in a week, report back to me on what your findings are and how you do it. So there's a lot of like the the built up models, how to use the system. You got to use your Google foo for. But for like how to do the design, here's some critiques on what you've done um you know i'm using like john who's helped me out um i've sent some stuff to joey dan of course he's my mentor so he's helping me out too kind of giving me hey build this i like what you did here but i don't like what you did here so there's a lot of like active input that is i think very helpful in kind of figuring out some of the stuff that you wouldn't have ever thought of before
0: wow i feel really old cuz i started before youtube and I basically had to learn everything on my own, which is all right. Like, here's PowerPoint. I don't know how to do PowerPoint. Well, learn it. And so, I learned how to do PowerPoint by making a lot of mistakes in PowerPoint. I learned about good instructional design by making a lot of mistakes in instructional design. I think that's one of the things that I strive for, at least. At least, I hope you're striving for. Can we create an environment while we're in the learning process with our audience where they can learn by making mistakes and not? this isn't what I want start over kind of a thing <laughs> where you have it in real work. So that's interesting. That's really great. Um, Dan, how about yourself? You're uh, how did you get into instructional design?
4: Uh, I mean, I think I've talked about it before. Uh, I got into like learning development, uh, because of D and D, uh, where I was applying for first a training role, cause that's how I got there through training. And uh, the guy who was interviewing me was just like, hey, man, I don't see any learning and development experience on your resume here. And you're applying for like a training job. So you got anything that gives you any kind of experience? Because I want to say yes, but I can't right now. And I was just like, well, maybe I engage in an activity every week uh, with between Twelve and sixteen people with a large set of very arcane rules, uh, very specific expectations. It's a group uh, activity. It can last, you know, up to eight hours at a time. And he was like, "Are you talking about Dungeons and Dragons?" And I was like, "Yes." Uh, and so that got me my first job in learning and development. And it wasn't long after that um, where, um. I was dissatisfied with the training material available to me as a trainer. Uh, So I rebuilt it, all of it. Uh, Despite the uh, advisement of my mentor at the time, who was like, this is a bad idea. Like, If you goof up anything, uh, you're going to be out on a tightrope with no net. There'll be nobody to catch you. And I was like, okay, cool. Message heard. I'm going to go rebuild it real quick. I'll be back in a week. And so, uh, like a crazy person, I rebuilt two weeks of curriculum from the ground up. Uh, oh man, it was bad, but it worked. It, it got the job done and it wasn't long after that till somebody was like, Hey, uh, who built all this training material and where's all the old stuff? And I was like, that was me. And they're like, oh wow, this is not the worst. There's some stuff here that's pretty good. I'd, I'd really like for you to come do instructional design for us. And then I told that person no. They're like, no, nah, I want to be a trainer. I, that's what's in my heart. I'm going to be a trainer. And they were like,
0: uh, is it, though? Is it?
4: And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. And they're like, well, why don't you think about it? And so I said, all oh, right, yeah, sure, sure. They came back a week later, and they're like, hey, do you want to get into instructional design? I was like, no way, man. I live for the classroom. That's where I need to be. And they're like, okay, uh. You know, like the hours are a lot better in ID and like your scope of influence is a lot larger. The pay is oftentimes better. And I was just like, no way, man. And he's like, OK, why don't you think about it? Because I've got a role open and I would really like for you to apply. And I was like, I'll think about it. And I did think about it. And I was like, man, I went to him. And I was like, hey, like, I do want to make material one. Uh, until like a month ago, I'd never done it too. I still want to be able to get into the classroom. Cause that's really where my, like my passion is. And he was like, absolutely. We'll find opportunities to get you in the classroom and that's okay. I'll teach you how to do the tough stuff. And, uh, his name, I'm going to, I'm just going to shout him out is Jared Ramler, who super fantastic individual, just great. Uh, Lots of times I'd hand him material. He'd be like, wow, this is really bad. Let's talk about how we fix this. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man, okay. Um, You know, and was just really great at looking at me because my inclination when I build content uh, is uh, not anymore, but it used to be the kitchen sink. I've put everything in here anyone could ever possibly need to know about this subject, hence why uh, my first uh, deck on printers was 400 slides. God bless everyone who went through those classes. All of you are wonderful human beings, and I apologize from the depth of my soul.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I've gotten better. (laughs) So you rolled a natural 20 is what you get? uh, Yes, Okay.
4: I did. I love you, Scott. Not a problem.
0: (laughs) It's all good. Anybody else... um, uh, have a similar experience, like coming from a training background into i d
1: yeah um I came into i d through a training background, but I came into training through a weird training background because uh I actually for a little while worked for a couple of private schools as an elementary like after school care teacher doing special classes p e and uh I was doing that for a bit, and while I was enjoying it, I loved working with the kids. it just was not quite hitting the spot and uh i actually fell into a a training role via a call center role where i was picking up some some extra money and some extra hours and uh um i really liked training like i i i've always loved education but when i got into this particular program i was like wow i can like really be a hands-on trainer here instead of just you know reciting whatever material was given to me and I really enjoyed kind of putting my own stamp on the material as the trainer. And the more I did the training, the more I realized, like, hey, there are things about these decks that I just i feel like they could be a little bit better or maybe even just updated. A lot of times, I was working with old material. And I just, a little bit like Dan, I kind of a, a forgiveness rather than permission situation. I just kind of went in and started making my own versions of some of these decks. And it got a little bit noticed. And the fact that I was well versed on the things I made the decks got noticed as well. Um and I actually ended up applying for a role also working with Jared Ramler, where I ended up becoming one of his instructional designers as well. So that was uh I wanna say more traditional path, going from trainer, but because I started in like almost base education with kids and then moving into adult learning with instructional design.
0: That's so interesting. So you get two stories of people that have identified the opportunity within learning and just went and fixed it. Uh, I'm very curious. Anybody else done that in the past? I, was, I haven't necessarily had like the
5: the base opportunity to do that yet because one of my, my original career paths was actually going to be going into like education. So I was like on the, the way to do like high school education because of similar things, right? It's, you know, there's a lot of problems here and I'm going to fix it. Um And my thought was very much like the I know I'll be the person who, like, you know, teaches it in the right way. um And then after after, like, you know, a bunch of false starts, because it's it's hard to be a teacher without actually getting an education degree. There's like a whole alternate certification and they just take forever to do that, um especially when the pandemic hits and they're like, we want teachers now, not, you know in a couple of years once the alternate certification process goes all the way through. So they just kept kicking it down the road, kicking it down the road. I'm like, I I can't keep doing this. <laughs> um so, you know, I had a long conversation with um with Dan actually, because he'd been trying to get me like like, hey, you know, I think you'd be good at this. Why don't you why don't you come and see what this is all about? Hey, I think you'd be good in ID. Why don't you like have a talk with me about it? And I'm always like, I'll do teaching. Teaching's what I'm gonna do. Um and then, you know, I kind of started to see more and more of the problems inherent to it and part of like I was already on the idea of like I don't know if like one person in the classroom is actually going to meaningfully change something um and so you know after doing a bit of digging after a conversation I kind of realized no I think maybe the the way to fix how t- education is done is not necessarily being the person teaching the thing but helping change the flow of information how it's presented to the teacher So that way they kind of, you know, you can be one teacher or you can reach like a hundred teachers, you know, that sort of thing.
0: So it is interesting.
5: Yeah, it is related, but it's kind of oblique because I hadn't actually started out in training or education. I was kind of on that path and then I kind of pinballed off of it.
3: Yeah, I went a different route compared to John and Dan and what Lucas is going through right now. Uh, I went. Similar to the beginning, very beginning the through call center, but I went through technical writing and knowledge base management first. So writing the how-to guides and troubleshooting guides for funny damn printers for printers for Samsung. And then went from there to LMS admin and managing content and creating onboarding content for like TVs and Blue players and whatnot. And then that's kind of how I got my foot in the door of L and D because of LMS admin and cream that those slides for onboarding.
0: There's a lot of great themes. And I want to kind of go dissect some of this stuff. I, long story short, there was a a long time ago, I was working for um, a company that has a big yellow tag associated with it. And I had a customer walk up to me and I was in the appliance department. And after throwing what I knew at him, he looked at me and said, you don't know what you're talking about. And he was right. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. And then, so I remember I said to myself, yeah, I don't ever want anybody to go through that anymore. Like that was a really awful experience. Like I wanted to quit. I actually worse wanted to quit. I wanted to crawl into a corner and just kind of hide. It was really bad. So I decided that I wanted to get into learning development over there. um, Got on the training team, did a lot of new store openings for that particular company. And that's where we were just, it was wild, wild west. We didn't have any idea what we were doing. I'm just raising my head, had no idea what good look like. Uh, if I look back at all that stuff, we were just trying new things all the time, which I think is great. I think it's important to try new stuff. Um, we tempered our, our things. And then when that, that opportunity was, um, no longer is time to transition, um, got certified, um, in training through a different organization. I'm, I'm certified, I'm a certified master trainer on two different levels and, um, Really interesting when you do a lot of facilitation and that's what you do. You just kind of learn by doing and learn by making mistakes. And so a lot of that certification, I was like, oh, well, I know this because I've been through this so much, right? Um, But I feel like that certification in training really makes me better at instructional design because at the end of the day, I know what that end user experience kind of needs to be, right? What does that flow need to be um, through following the Addy model or whatever? I, I know that when I get into leadership, it was one of those things that had just kind of been brass tacks for me. Like we are going to ensure that we've got a strong opening that delivers value. We are going to ensure that we have a closing that reinforces stuff. And we are going to ensure that we have, you know, activities that are meaningful and relevant. And we're still going to make, you know, make some mistakes and try new things and and that'll be cool. Um, I'm just curious, like when you folks, you know, after we've been through some of the things that we, that, that we've been through um what what's brass tacks for you like what are the things that you just have to tell stakeholders like yeah you know what i like your idea but this is going to be more important and this is really important to me
4: you know i one of the skills that i've learned late in id is like stakeholder management however it is probably the most important skill Instructional designer to know. Uh, I, I I don't I don't mean to say that lightly, um, because I can't tell you how many times early in my career somebody was like, "I need a forty-five slide experience for seven people, and it needs to take about fifteen to twenty minutes." And I go, "Okay." And then, like, I beat my head against the wall, cramming all kinds of stuff in, and just hope the trainer talked fast. Um, And sometimes that was me, so sometimes I did talk very, very fast. Uh, When my answer should have been like, "Whoa, slow the horses. Let's start with what's your goal? What's your goal? I'm, I'm going to build you a great experience. I'm going to build you an amazing experience. But if you tell me your goal," I'm gonna to build to that goal. I think a lot of times stakeholders come in with this preconceived their preconceptions of like, well, I seen slides, so I know I need PowerPoints, and I need a trainer, and training takes like 20 minutes. So, and I know I want a lot of slides because I want there to be a lot of information. So there. And I mean, like. We're, we're all experts here. For you folks in the audience, I assume many of you are experts as well. You know that like those preconceptions are, are, are going to throw you sideways unless you just grab them right up front and say, throw these away. What's your goal? Well, my goal is I need to tell these seven, you know, directors about our launch and I need to educate them in the three facts they need to know before it comes up. Okay, great. That's going to be a five to ten minute experience. It's going to be a couple slides if you want to go with uh, you facilitating or somebody facilitating, and it's going to be great.
2: In addition to that, one of the things it has to be a problem training can solve. Uh, Because I have been approached so many times where the business has a problem and they think training might be a solution or something that they can say they tried, but I'm not willing to spend our time and hours to fail when I know it's not a problem training can solve. And so working with your partners and saying, I, am, I have compassion for what the problem is. I understand it. Let me tell you why this is not what you want to try and do. Um, and being able to articulate to them what training actually does, but more importantly, does not do. So
1: I have moved more into the analytics sphere, and I deal a lot more with gathering and consuming data and then doing an output which when you really get down to it means that my job actually hasn't changed much i just do more math when i produce my designs but the one thing in particular in the last two years that i've really had to learn and step up on was my project management which deals with stakeholder expectations so i will get similar things like what abby's get where somebody will come in and say i need a report that shows me why dave is overspending and it's like you want to know why Dave is overspending? Are are you sure you don't want to know where overspending is happening and how Dave compares to other people? Like let's let's change your perception here on what you're actually asking for. And uh it it's kind of a hard and sometimes painful skill because every now and then while you're setting those stakeholder expectations you accidentally step on their toes and then you get to do the apology dance of being like I I'm not trying to downplay your problem. I just don't understand your problem and I'm asking questions so that I understand what your problem is to tell you whether or not it's even possible for me to solve it, let alone for me to devote man hours to it.
5: Sorry to, to jump in here, but like for me, you know, talking about like, um, like the stakeholder expectations and, you know, like they want, you know, a bunch of slides with like a bunch of content on it and stuff like that, that was my first experience that I built. So I was told to build, you know, like a 30 minute training on like de-escalation. And so I made like, I don't know, like 20 slides with like three paragraphs per slide. It was just a lot of stuff because, you know, that was kind of what I had grown to expect. And also I was, um, and (laughs) when I was like, asked about, okay, so why'd you choose this? Why'd you choose this? Kind of as part of the, you know, mentoring process here. I was like, well, I wanted to make sure that nobody could possibly misconstrue everything. Like I've got everything in here. You know, I've got like bolded text here so that we, you know, that this word's important, but it was lost in like four or five paragraphs. Um, and so that was coming in like completely layperson. you know, just knowing how PowerPoint functions and knowing that you need to kind of have slides to relay the content. Um so since I am a little bit newer I'm I'm pivoting away from a lot of those mindsets but still I think that is the the mindset that like everybody else does start off with and expect is like let's just do a bunch of information all at once. So it it makes sense to me that like you would want to go hey, I understand what you're looking for but instead of doing it the exact way you said, let's get the goal and then I will make sure to achieve the goal rather than let's get the style and the substance that you want. Because you don't know what you want stylistically. That's kind of what I've learned is for the most part, the style portion of it, you actually don't know what you're looking for. But you do have a goal, right? Your goal is to educate somebody on de-escalation techniques or or to, you know, tell somebody how to do something technical or, or whatever. Um so I think maybe, yeah, like what you guys are saying there is, you know, hey, when you, when you manage somebody, don't tell them their idea is bad, but go, I'm the expert on this, so let me, let me do the style, and I will make sure that your, your goal is achieved.
0: All right, everybody. Pop quiz. Are you ready? Anybody can answer this question. Here we go. Subject matter experts, stakeholders, what's important to them? I'm looking towards the three fates. The three fates. Well, the, the answer is everything. So let's just admit that right now. Everything <laughs> is important to them. Every, I'm not kidding. right? If you go to your subject matter expert and say, I, he, I understand you want to do this. What, what's important? The answer is, well, everything's important. I want everything in here. And I think that's why we all start off like, well, okay, great. I'm going to throw fifty. Pounds of sand into a five pound bag and try to make that work. We know that that's not the answer. And folks, I, th- I asked that question because when you understand that from the get that your stakeholders view that everything is important because that's how their brain works, they're not bad people. That's just how their brain works. Our role is to get them to understand, okay, great. I know that everything's important, but what what's mission critical here? What are the top three things, two, three things that are mission critical that we can put into our learning experience so that we actually get results? And the rest of it will handle some other way. Like They can go ahead and learn on the job or we'll put it somewhere where they can go get the information. Oh, by the way, that's where our audience wants to be anyway. They don't want to be bored. They want to go get the information, far more powerful learning experience anyway. So if you have that mindset, when you go to your Go to your stakeholders. I'm discovering recently, late in my career, great place to be. I just know that they're going to ask for more than than is humanly possible or even effective, and that I can go ahead and and, um, I can negotiate from there. And we we can go ahead and leverage our intellectual capital and say that's really awesome. Let's go ahead and split this up. Like, go ahead and do a seven scale. Like, where you know what are the top? What's going to kill us if we miss? And let's focus then on that. So, anybody having those kinds of experiences out there?
2: If they haven't, I don't know what they're doing in training.
1: <laughs> no kidding. Uh, uh, bullet points come in really handy. And, and a lot of times, like when I'm, I'm trying to build out like an analytic report for somebody, I'd be like, hey, what are the three things that someone needs to know from this data? And then I'll do the other side. Of, what are the three things that we should not include in this data? I know that that sounds weird to say to not include, but from a training perspective, Like, um, I know for a previous role, the policies about what to do in a situation went on for books, Not, not even pages, but books of policies of if the customer says I before E, you need to follow this procedure, which will escalate up to here. And it's like, okay, well, that's what you need to exclude because you'll never get out of that rabbit hole versus here are the three things I need to know to finish job A successfully and sometimes breaking it into, you have job A, job B, job C, like give me three things for each one of these that you need. And then that makes them prioritize a little, gosh, like if if a customer comes to me, if I don't know to say hello, the whole thing is shot. And, and I've, that's part of that stakeholder thing, really work and be like, give me your top three. Everything else, you've been thrown into the pile, we'll put it into a bucket, but give me those top three and we'll hit those first. And then we'll start moving down the list instead of, to your point, and um, but unfortunately, I have been the SME who has done the everything before, and I feel terrible that I I said that to somebody. But like, like that that prioritization really helps people who aren't used to thinking that way. They're used to thinking, "Here's the CEO, I give them absolutely everything."
5: Yeah, yeah. Like, like for me, um, one of the things that actually helped me refine that first deck that I built into something actually useful was Dan going, "Okay, I, I see that you've got all this information here." Um, why did you choose this? Okay. Why is this important to know for this subject? I'm like, well, you know, this, that, and the other, and he's like, okay, but, but, but why is it important to know for this? And I'm like, I guess I could probably cut that out. Cause this is more important. He goes, there you go. He goes, no, do that with everything. OK, OK, because, you know, it, it was something that I uh, was, you know, kind of a subject matter expert on to begin with. That's why we started the deck with like de-escalation, because I also have a call center background and I was in tier two, which is like the um, I don't know if, how many of our listeners have been in call center environments, but that's like customer escalations, right? You get the mad people and you get the like weird technical issues that like only happen once every like third Friday, something like that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of like, okay, you have to know how to talk to people, know how to bring them down. Um, and just having spent years there, I kind of just, I have it and innately. So I was doing the, oh, everything's important to myself. Um, and so having, you know, having Dan there to mentor me and be like, okay, but what's really important, um, actually has made like that first deck that I built usable now because i was able to like par it down and and pair it out so um yeah like i'm kind of again since i'm learning i'm like on both sides of it right now where it's like i'm actually building my deck but also i'm realizing oh no oh no i've done this terrible thing to me
2: (laughs) so i'm also i'm curious um i also came out of a knowledge base background before i got into training so i'm curious joey's thoughts on this but i think everything's important. Another good way to work with folks who feel that, and that's everybody, is understanding the rest of the business and the rest of the systems because training fits into an environment, right? It's not standalone. Um, And so it helped me to understand the function and role and utilization of our knowledge base when I started stepping into those conversations. And Joey, I'm curious if you've had a similar experience.
3: Yeah, for the most part. I think also too, I guess I... Maybe not exactly the same, Scott, as you, with like everyone wanting everything in training. I think I went almost the opposite lately with some of my stakeholders, like not knowing what to put in training and asking me for advice or simply asking like, hey, we just want to check a box. I trust you to do the learning the right way. We just need to make sure this goes out because of compliance or legal issues or what have you.
0: Wow. Um, I've got really strong feelings about that because I... Check the box activities or check the box learnings are I my humble opinion are a complete waste of time.
4: I'm I'm sure all of us know this experience. I'm sure many of you in our audience have this experience. How many times have you built a training? Even like, yeah, because it was a box check, and you're just like, just get it out the door. Your stakeholders tell you just get out the door, your leadership's telling you just get out the door. So you build a training, you're like, done. Great. I'm great. I'm good to go. It's out the door. And then 90 days later, Five months later, you're like, hey, we need some more training. And it's that same request because it's already been forgotten because you built it to check a box. They requested it to check a box. The person who asked for it did it to check a box because somebody off the line wanted to see it. And then that cycle repeats over and over and over and over. Uh, So, yeah, Scott, just to piggyback on you, I hate box checking. Like, tell me why. Why? Tell me why you want the training.
2: But I think that goes back to knowing the rest of the business. And I'm sure John can jump in on this because you have to be able to say, what did you do with it? And show me. Um, I think that's the next step because there are needs of the business. There are going to be times where you have to create a training because they have to say we provided it. And I get that. But when they come back to me in six months, my first question is going to be, show me where it wasn't effective show me who took it, show me when all those things. So I have to know enough about the business yes. to say it exists and you need to go get it.
5: Yeah. I, uh, I actually want, worked a job in the past, which I'm not going to name um, because what I'm about to say might get the trainers in trouble, but um, it was obviously one of those, like, cause we, there was like two week long training session for this particular job. Um, and like one of the first couple of days they had, you know, some of the, like the, here are our policies. And then there was one or two that are obviously like for box checking, right. Um, that were like, not really germane to the job and not necessarily like, don't do this or you'll get fired, but were just there. Cause they were to check a box and the trainers basically just went, okay, you guys don't need to write any of this down. We're just going to go through the slides real quick. And then he, I mean, I talk fast. He talked fast. He was just like, click, 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 click. Okay, the training's done. I've provided it. Uh, let's take like an hour break since we've got this time slotted out. So whoever designed and built that basically, you know, used up all their time for nothing because the trainer didn't use it. I don't remember any of the words that were on that slide. I just remember that like the trainer went, eh, this is useless. Don't worry about it. Um, and again, it was obviously like there for box checking but if it was important to have there's better ways that you can implement that information and if it's not important to have why do it
0: yeah i mean that clearly comes into the you know other side of what we do which is all about stakeholder management relationship building you know good great leaders are ones that bring people together to get things done listen if you want to be viewed as a value add to your organization in my humble opinion i've got a line up with my stakeholders' KPIs, right? So what is it that you need to accomplish and how can I help you? And then being able to say, hey, I appreciate the fact that we need to get this done, but is it going to meet your needs? Is it going to solve for your KPIs? And if it's not, that's a really easy no, right? For me, I want to ensure that anything and everything that I spend my time on, I mean, <laughs> our good friend Brian Gillette, right? We We were talking about this very thing, like, hey, listen, anything that that gets in the in the way of your focus areas that are really going to drive the needs of your business or drive your career growth or whatever is important to you is really a distraction so to have that alignment with our stakeholders and our subject matter experts and the business around here's what we need to accomplish and we're all going to work on this together is really going to help you grow um, your intellectual capital your leadership cap- uh, leadership capital around instructional design and being that person that really helps design, deliver, um, great, effective solutions that, uh, deliver value, not just for the business, but for our audience as well.
1: Uh, I want to tag in on a word you said there, value, um, something that has, uh, definitely been kind of the focus of my year. My company is going through productivity savings stuff like most companies do, especially with everything that's been going on. And we've had a real big focus on the value. Uh. Now, with the work that I do, it's a little easier for me to calculate the value at the moment because I can actually see when people use my reports, we can see these immediate effects. But that concept of value still very much applies to training. And sometimes I think it can be overlooked when you could pose to your stakeholders say, I need this training. I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's actually try to monetize the value of this really quick. If people don't have this training and they do it wrong, how much is it going to cost you? In this mistake, if they don't know how to do it right, how much are you going to generate in savings or in capital or in proceeds, whatever the case may be, if they do it right? And then you can actually kind of multiply that by how big your training audience is and you can start to create this idea of, hey, this training is worth like $3 million because if people do it wrong, it'll lead to X many potential lawsuits. And sometimes that can also help with your, your stakeholders when they're saying, well, this training is a checkbox. But like, well, it's actually more than a checkbox. Look what happens if we don't do this right. There is real fiscal impact to this bad training. And you can also help in that prioritization. Again, if somebody says, well, this training is critically important that they check the box Be like, okay, well, this other training that you've asked me to do actually has real monetary value to it. Like, can... I'm gonna prioritize what's gonna be better for the company, which is gonna have this value attached to it versus your checkbox. I say that, of course, and I work in an environment where I'm actually exposed to medical data. So you wouldn't believe how many HIPAA trainings that I have to take. It seems like almost every other week, there's another HIPAA course that I have to take. And a lot of them do feel like checkbox trainings. Now, obviously that's federal mandated. We really can't tell the government, no, we're not gonna be compliant on this. It's kind of an issue. But that same idea of like, well, what's the value if we if we don't follow these HIPAA policies? Like, there is real monetary value to that failed training versus I didn't know to put my first name in here. It's like, well, there's no impact to that. Like, that's that to me is kind of a waste of training. It's not benefiting anybody.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead as um, we begin to think about um, wrapping up and 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 calling it an end. I want to go around the horn and. Give everybody the opportunity to be a little vulnerable. Like what in the last few years has been your greatest um, learning uh, around ID, right? And if you wouldn't mind sharing that, it could be, uh, who had a really great success story here or, ooh, I kind of made this opportunity, it, you know, I had this opportunity and, and this is what I learned from it. What, what are some of your greatest learnings in your space over the last few years? And I'm going to start, I'm gonna say, go ahead, Dan.
4: Uh, You know, I, over the last few years, I've had to wear a handful of hats in the instructional design world. And I mean, this is something that, that like is basic and it's easy to say like, oh, you write different training for different audiences. You, you write in different styles for different audiences. Um, but no more in my career than in the last few years has that been true. I went from, you know, helping to create training for like an onboarding and new hire experience to creating training for uh, a sales and motivation experience and then, uh, you know, creating training in a video space for video e-learning and then finally, not creating training, like being focused on like a, a strategy and strategic role. and just that the quick like pop 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 over the last like 5 years of my career has really really sent home like turned those words of like oh you know like hey i'm building different experiences for different people and turn them into things that like i truly see the real depth of all the time like i cannot tell you how different the material i i made or i helped made or i directed to be made was for people who were onboarding than for people who needed to sell and finally what the difference was when it needed to be made you know for like a, a video environment like all of those required different things they meant different things and they they were just radically different i could produce a training on soft skills but in those three different development styles three different deployment methods three different audiences they would all be so drastically different that they would be almost unrecognizable and that's a good thing like that's that's amazing and uh yeah like really sold home that point
3: i think the opportunity i recognize just i guess something i ran as myself that did maybe i don't know poorly is right way to or just fell into the trap of Using the excuse that I'm too busy to learn more about ID or learn more about how to be more innovative and do the job better. Like I don't know how many times I'm like, oh, I'm just going to, to your point before, take an order, check the box, get his training out, move on. Um, Now, I fell into that trap for years of, well, I have a new project every day. It's due tomorrow. I can't pause to learn more. So really over the past year or so with my new role I'm at now, slowing down. And being more strategic and being as innovative as possible where it makes sense has been really valuable to me. And I wish I took more time years ago when I was first in this role to learn more and to pause.
0: So what are you doing now to better yourself? What are, what are some habits that you've developed to keep you on top of things? Because you are on top of things, Joey, whether you want to admit it or not. Oh, well, thanks. Um,
3: I think the biggest thing for me is just saying no. Or even just, yes, I can do this, but I need this much more time to do the right thing or be able to build it like you want or do what we should do for the learning experience. Um, And really just having the confidence to be able to say no and push back has been really helpful. It's been awesome. (laughs) It's been great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no is not a bad word. It's a word that we all need to get better at. I know for me, you know, um it wasn't it okay i'm gonna date myself you guys remember happy days and when the Fonz, the fonds couldn't say no it was great it was like uh, 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 that That was me right um but yeah no is a good thing um and sometimes it means like i gotta find the here i'm gonna say no but i'm gonna help you find a, a solution because i think you need a solution that's kind of where i drop but sometimes you just gotta have that hard no like mm, mm, mm. you know I'm, I'm gonna sign up for too many things here and I'm going to spread myself too thin and and we're not going to deliver value on on great stuff. So thanks, Joey. That's great.
2: I've learned over the years that I am not satisfied to just be kind of like an end result service to the business. Um, so if I want to be proactive in adding value, um, to be someone who's in the room early in discussions about things that are happening, things that are being planned, um, so that I can bring to them like my ideas about how training can help the business or add more value or do something different. Um, I need to build relationships with the rest of the business. I need to speak up in more conversations. Um, I just stopped waiting for them to come to me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, I spend a lot of time now in my role, reaching out to people going, Hey, heard about this thing you're working on. I would love to hear more about it. Um, I think there might be some opportunities for me to help you or for me to, to add something to this project. and it's it's a it can be intimidating and scary, um and a lot of times you have to be humble and say, "I'm um, to be honest, I don't know a lot of part about that part of the business, but I want to learn, um, but it really has made my work a lot more rewarding, but you've got to be willing to say, "I don't know, Are you willing to teach me, and are you willing to take some time?" Um, and hopefully you're in an environment where that's supported. I know that not all businesses are necessarily open to that, so yeah. I hope people find themselves in places where that's possible.
1: Oh, uh, th- this is definitely the, the big one that I've learned over the last year and a half or so is that stakeholder management, uh, knowing who, like you've talked about saying no, you, you guys kind of stole my thunder with the saying no thing, but you know, not only knowing how to say no, but how to turn that no into what they actually want is very difficult. It's an art. It's not a science. There's nowhere you can put down, say these words and they'll understand. You have to tailor every response. And uh, sometimes you can't say no. Sometimes the ask is that big. It's like, look, we're not asking you to produce this. We're telling you this has to be produced. And still knowing how to manage their expectations and where to push back and to say, hey, I know that you want this, but we really need to consider the downstream effects. And can we please look at doing it this way instead of way A, which is the I think the bane of my existence is the phrase, we've always done it this way, and that's one that I've had to challenge a lot in various roles, and uh, it really plays into that stakeholder engagement a lot, is getting people to try something new and can, getting them to understand why you should do something new while still giving them what they already asked for, so that, that no becomes a maybe, which hopefully becomes a yes when they're agreeing with you, rather than you having to break things to agree with them.
5: Um so as I'm still learning um I mean I could I could just say all of it but I think the biggest thing I've learned most recently is um is the idea of how to control the flow of information it's not even necessarily what information is presented but how you are making people see it in the order that you want them to see it and retaining it um in the way that you want them to retain it so there's a lot of like stylistic choices that that I'm learning about oh wow, I never considered that this could do that, right? Like if you, you know, take like two little sentences and smash them up together, that can actually be seen as like one like ob- discrete object there as you're doing the flow of information. So just all these little tips and tricks on like how to do the job um, in an effective way is is kind of what I'm really most excited about picking up. Because, I mean... Effectively, information is there. It's, I think, one of the reasons why we get paid to do this thing is taking that information and making it actually useful information.
0: I got to tell you, for me, this is really humbling for me because I've been doing this a long time. Um, You got to sharpen your saw. You got to stay on top of things. I, I would say in the last two years, the way that we can deliver in... The needs of our audience have changed so dramatically that no matter how long you've been doing this or how good you are at this or how much resources you have, the way that we can deliver and the technology that's out there that can support us in our delivery um, requires you to be on top of things. It requires you to um, stay ahead of what's going on we will all be dinosaurs no matter what we're doing. If we're not continually out there finding what's new. And for years I, I had been asked to like, Hey, can you get a story on this? Or can you get a data story on that? And, um, that's always been challenging in our space. And, you know, uh, recently, somebody who was outside of our influence, like, what if we tried this? Or what if, what if we looked at this kind of way of uh, mobile delivery and data tracking and whatnot? And I'm like, oh, you can't do that because it requires admin. And we get to our stakeholders are too loud, uh, large, yada, yada, yada. And I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And That's been a very um, humbling experience for me. Um, and thank goodness I was around people who were naive enough to say, hmm. I don't know if i buy into that right so we can get really comfortable in our space and we can get really comfortable with how much we know and what we're really good at and i'm going to tell you that um my experience has been the ultra importance go to a conference at least once a year if you can't go to a conference at least once a year holy crap i know i'm getting bombarded every week with webinars because i signed up for one right they're all out there they're all free they're gonna try to sell you something I don't care. You don't have to buy it. Show up, find out what's going on, right? You're going to get white papers, right? Disseminate those white papers out to your team. Not because you're smart and they're not. It's because this is an opportunity to share what's going on out there and to get other people thinking. And I feel like in our space today, that's our value. Our value is to stay on top of what's going on because it's going to change even more than we know. And and to continue to hold on to those things that are really important, the stakeholder management management. The, objection, the objectives, all those things are still very, very important. But if, if you're not thinking outside the box and you're not taking a look at what's going on and if you're not part of trends, um, we're not going to be able to do what I think that we intrinsically love. We're all in this space because we want to help people be better. I want to help people grow. I want to help people be better. That's what helps me sleep at night. That's what makes me feel like a good and valuable person. If you're in learning and development for that, you're in a very great, safe place because the thing that I love about everybody that's on this show right now is that they're all amazing people. They're all really great people, people that I'm proud to call my friends, right? So that, that is an awesome thing. That's an awesome place for us to be. Increase your value. Go out there. Learn what's going on. Stay on top of it. Make time to do this. Um, you'll be better.
3: I was just going to say anyone that's trying to get into this space or in general, just create, go, go do it. <laughs> I think that's one thing that the fear of failure, it, it makes you anxious and it makes it hard, but and it's easier said than done for sure. But at the end of the day, the only way you're going to get better in this industry and get better at your role is by doing it.
5: Yeah. Yeah. And as a person who's trying to break into this and everything, like one of the things that helped me make the decision to kind of pivot to learning all this um, was going out there and and looking and seeing like what people are doing and how they're doing it. There's a bunch of resources. We're going to circle back to the Google foo at the beginning of this, right? Like there's a bunch of resources out there on like, you know, Hey, here's what the field is, but also here's how to do it. So even if you aren't lucky enough to have like a good professional mentor, like, like I have right now, um, you can start creating stuff. You can start like taking and learning some of these skills and applying them. Um, and then if you find a mentor, awesome, but otherwise you can build a portfolio. You can potentially go to Fiverr. And as you start getting some of these skills in and getting some like job experience too. So it's, if you're like me where you're like, I'm not really satisfied with the current thing and the like where i'm currently at um i think this field is for me i'm listening to this you know podcast specifically like narrow cast about this field um just just do it you might end up finding a mentor as you start doing stuff but the resources are out there um so i mean and again that's the stuff that helped me make my decision so i mean yeah absolutely like it it seems like a lot because there is a lot to it but honestly I'm having a blast doing this. Like, This is the most fun I've had doing work in, in ages.
1: <laughs> I would throw in, a, don't be afraid to ask for feedback, but also don't feel that you're bound by feedback. Just because somebody looks at what you've done and says, oh, you know, this is terrible, this is awful, that's their perspective of it. And you can take that and say, oh, maybe I need to take a fresh look at it, but it doesn't mean that they're right, just because that's their feedback. It's, it's feedback, not directions. Now, if your boss gives you that feedback, that obviously may change the situation a little bit if they're wanting that, but you know, show people your stuff and ask for their honest feedback. People will actually tell you what they think of what you've made.
0: Oh, Joey, John, Lucas, thank you so much for adding value today. Great discussion. We could talk forever, um, but we won't. So Daniel-san. Yes, Scott. Could you do me a solid? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Could you do me a solid and let our <laughs> viewers know, our listeners know, how they can uh, better connect with us, sir? Yes,
4: I can. All right, party people. Normally, this is the part where I very quickly say, email us at fabulouslearningnerds, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to change things up. I think, I think we're going to change things up. What I'd like to give all of you in our audience is a much easier email address to type to us and send us. You can find us now at nerds at thelearningnerds.com. You can still email us any questions you might have. We really want you to join in on the discussion. And because we want you to join in on the discussion, you can also find us at our new website at www.thelearningnerds.com. If you're on Facebook, we're still at Learning Nerds. And for all of our Instagram peeps, we're still Fab Learning Nerds. So reach out. Talk to us. We want to chat. Scott.
0: Thanks, Dan. That's awesome. Yeah, new website, new email. Test it out, everybody. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher or any other podcatcher, do us a favor as well. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear how we're doing. It helps us get our message out to more folks like you. And with that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan.
2: I'm Abby. I'm John.
5: I'm
0: Joey. And I'm Lucas. And we're your Fabulous Learning Nerds, and we are out.